0: If you're visiting, uh, we love this book. Uh, This is a teaching ministry, and uh, that's kind of the the lighthearted internet stuff, but here we are in the real deal. So turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, while you find Ephesians 5, I'll tell you that we've been in this for, uh, I think this is our 50th um, message in Ephesians. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we are just faithfully working our way through. So Ephesians chapter 5, finishing the section today, we'll start in verse um, 31. And this is God's Word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, did I see Ty Cobbin here earlier today? Is, is Ty Cobbin here right now? Are you in here, Ty? Ty? Oh, I, well, I think he came in for some coffee. Anyway, he, he happens to be uh, part of my uh, opening illustration. Uh, Ty Cobb, uh, who well, has been a longtime Grace Van member, called me over t- for a meeting one time, and he said, hey, I got this idea. And, uh, you know, he's got this athletic center, and he, he had an idea to kind of make this video and have me be like this uh, uh, superheroes, Avenger, Samuel L. Jackson kind of guy. Yeah, and uh, so he was springing this idea on me, which I did not bite on. Uh, as much as I would love to spend every Friday night at a, an athletic complex, um, uh, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. But he had a very intriguing sales tactic, and the, ins- and the sales tactic was check out the side of this giant wooden box. So it was a giant wooden box. I mean a giant, a giant wooden box. And you look on the side of the giant wooden box, and there is a laser-engraved likeness of me on it and it's like it's like my body no it's not my body it's my face in like a thick superhero body but not thick like me like spongy but thick like bobby green you know like bobby green's taut. you know he's his, he's not just goopy you know he's just like taut, like superhero It was very flattering and uh i'm like wow a laser engraved image of m- me carved onto a giant box i mean when does that happen in your life Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I open that way because uh, in a sense, biblically defined marriage is a representation. It's a screening. It's a broadcast. It's kind of like a laser-carved image uh, of the kind of relationship and intimacy between Jesus and us. That's what marriage is, and that's why uh, we have our giant point here, which is this. Marriage is a picture of the church's relationship to Jesus Christ. That's been our point for several weeks now that is no theological touchstone. That's not something that uh, Bible people have invented so they can have something to preach. It's rather taken right from the text. It's not some little uh, painting in the Bellevue bookstore. Uh, speaking of the text, look at it. In verse 31, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. We're going to take go to Genesis in a while and look at that. But listen, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's Paul's big point, and it's the undergirding of this whole passage. And that's why that's been our point every single time in the last, what, six weeks or so that we've been in this block of verses. All that's got its moorings in Genesis, as I said. But as we wrap up this section, just know that this is no minor point in the mind of the Apostle Paul or ultimately the Holy Spirit of God. The picture of marriage unity, husband and wife, is an earthly portrayal of a... uh, deific actuality. It's an earthly picture of something that is a spiritual reality. Maybe it would be better to say that it's like a drama than a painting or a carving or whatever. It's, it's a played out uh, reality, all right? So that's our, that's our undergirding. As we move ahead, let's look at our first point. Separation is essential to unity. If you look at verse 31 again, it says, a man shall leave his father and mother. Uh, but before it says that, it says, therefore, and every time you see that, you go, well, why? What, what's it connected to? In fact, some, some of your Bible translations, I know Tammy's has, uh, uh, for this reason, if you have an NIV, it's that too. Tammy's got American new American standard, for this reason. And so you go, oh, for this reason? Well, there, wow, what does that mean? Well, look at verse uh, 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So there you have that parallel again, Christ's relationship with the church he nourishes and cherishes it back up one verse verse 28 in the same way husbands should love their wives and so you've got this idea of this unity between husband and wife being one flesh they're so united it's like they're made out of the same flesh and so there's all kinds of implications there um, when we look at a man leaving his father and mother that's not just a helpful tip uh, that's that's a deep, profound thing. Basically, it's this: you have a man growing up as a child in and under an institution. He grows up and he lives under that institution, in that in that context of authority. He leaves that context of authority and moves to a new one, a totally new one, a new relationship. Um, A a new context, and it could be said it could be said that he, in in a way, holds fast to that uh, new context, like he holds fast to his wife. But the demands of marriage, and the who of is who's involved—a man or a uh, woman—breaks the former institution and creates a new one. Now, if you would keep your finger where you are and go to Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two. Verse 18, this is a continuation of the creation account, and it says, um, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, uh, we talked about this before, that um, God doesn't uh, make something and go, oops, I made a boo-boo, I better fix it with something. Rather, this is recorded for us so that we can get an insight into the way God is thinking. And ladies, one of the ways that that God is so deliberate in his creation is to say, hey, it's not done until she comes along. And uh, that, from the very first pages of Scripture, exalts a woman into a very high place, an equal image bearer with a man, equally made. Uh, equally valued in the eyes of God, built right into the creation account. The Lord says it's not good for man to be alone. He could have went man, woman, boom, but he doesn't. He does it so we can go, ah, this is very important and she's very important to God who is our maker. All right, continuing on, look at verse 23. Uh, God God uh, makes the woman, uh, shows her to the guy, and he's, he, he's digging it. He's like, this is so much better Than a giraffe, I can't even tell you. Uh, It's awesome. And the man says, This at last is bone of my bones. He surveyed the creation. He's, uh, He's named animals, and he says, Ah, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here's our verse. Therefore. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So it's as if, by the creation story itself, God wants us to see this intimacy, not only between husband and wife, but as Paul, the Apostle Paul expounds on it, God wants us to see. Uh, the intimacy between Christ and the church, and we're supposed to look back on this this creation account and say, oh, I get it. Uh, God is showing us by the use of these intimate human relationships, this particular intimate human relationship, the most intimate human relationship there can ever be, husband and wife, he's showing us a little something about what Jesus Christ um, thinks of us, our relationship to him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's not a passing thought for the Apostle Paul. Um, It's the substructure of everything he's talking about. It's what's holding it all together, this idea of marriage. So if you think of marriage and you're not thinking that it's a picture of the church's relationship to Jesus Christ, you're misunderstanding marriage. You're misunderstanding how you're supposed to relate to your spouse if you don't have it in that context. You can't get it right the way God has designed it. You know, um, look at verse 32 of, uh, of Ephesians. It says, this mystery is profound uh, to apply it to your lives. Yeah, it's profound. But the, the question is, what does he mean when he says this mystery is profound? To what is he referring? Is he saying, oh, the relationship of Christ and the church is profound? Or is he saying, uh, the two shall become one flesh? This is profound. Well, both are obviously profound. But I think what he's saying here is this idea that a man shall leave his father and mother, this institution, and be joined to this woman, and they become a new institution, that's a profound mystery. You know, folks, uh, I'm straying from my notes a little bit, but um, Tammy and I came off the expressway, and uh, we were coming from somewhere. We had breakfast at some funky place. Oh, I think we had coffee downtown or something like that. Anyway, we end up coming down Summer Avenue. And uh, we're like, oh, let's just stay on Summer Avenue. You got, it's got all these funky things, and you got these, like, old cool things that we used to go to and stuff. And so we cruised down Summer Avenue, and we come to Summer and Graham. And Summer and Graham is kind of, s- of a s- significant intersection. Have I told you all this before? Uh, Summer and Graham is kind of an in- uh, interesting, uh, significant intersection for us because for years Tammy taught at a little private school right there at Summer and Graham. And it was the first place I ever lived in Memphis was at Summer and Graham at, f- at French Village apartments. And so for a number of years, we're coming and going, passing each other. She's probably, you know, seeing me going, oh, if only (laughs) one (laughs) day, maybe I'm, you know, we don't even know each other. And God takes these two total strangers apart. I come down here from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, of all places, live in Trench Village Apartments on Summer Avenue. And I, one day I finally meet this girl that I've never even met in my life. What a profound mystery, it's a new institution. Everything's different. I've left my father and mother, and there's a new institution. And I think he's saying that's the mystery. It's a big mystery. The this is the one fleshness. And so it is poignant and potent that, you know, this word mystery throughout the book of Ephesians, if you look back on it, you read it, the word mystery shows up over and over again. And every time in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul uses mystery, the word mystery, as something that's been uncovered and revealed. Something that has been hidden in ages past and is now revealed in the gospel. And so he's saying, you got this mystery of the one flesh union. And if you want to understand that mystery more deeply, then check this out. Because it's been unfolded and revealed in a gospel context, and the mystery is that this is the way Christ thinks of his church. With a one flesh idea. So intimate is it. You know the Bible is full of illustrations about the way God relates to us. A father to children. A mother to children. That's not to say that the Bible portrays God in a feminine light. Never does it. But it does say God's love is like a mother. His care is like a mother who guards her young well, that's a, that's, a, that's a vivid picture of love that we can latch on to, a mother's love for her child, my mother's love for me, my father's love for me, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. We understand those kinds of concepts, but there's no greater uh, illustration than um, the, the one fleshness, Christ and his church. You know, on this uh, mission trip, uh, I was talking to, in our little small group, there was a guy in our small group, and uh, uh, we were talking about our lives and our families and all that stuff, and he was saying, yeah, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. And um, my family now is very different than my upbringing. I have a Christian home, and I'm a Christian dad, and I'm struggling to to um, to, to lead my home in, in righteousness and holy things, and it's just a very different scenario than the scenario I grew up in. And, and I said... What you have is a new heritage. It's an opportunity for you to make a new heritage. And um, the the, the takeaway, I think, for, for us is this. What do you think Christ has done for you? What do you think Christ has done for the church? It is a new heritage, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and that's that's the idea of separation being essential to unity. We have left the old dominion. We've brought, been brought into this new relationship um, in Jesus Christ. All right, our second point, sacrificial love is essential to unity. Look at verse 33. <coughs> However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself. So he's saying, he's coming right off the heels of going, it's a profound mystery. This one fleshness, this intimate relationship that is unbreakable between Christ and this bride, it's permanent, it's forever, it's into eternity. It's loved with everlasting love and and lives on into eternity. Profound mystery, yes. However, he says, let each one of you love his wife um, as himself. And so don't think... That that little line, love your wife as yourself, is some Queen Latifah talking point that's just really a sweet idea. Oh, honey, oh, baby, you know I love you uh, like uh, I love myself. Oh, that's so sweet. No, it's so much more than that, friends. You know, the assumption is, when it it says let each of you love his wife as himself, um, the assumption is that somebody cares for his own body. You do, don't you? I mean, if you have a, a what do you call it, what do you, is it a splinter or a sliver? What do you guys call it? Splinter. splinter. We call it a sliver up north. But if you have a, if you have a little p- in your finger, that affects your whole life, doesn't it? Every time you bump something, it affects everything. So you care for your body. You clean it. You, you care about it. You check it. Uh, in fact, it's even ex- instinctive uh, to, to uh, self-preserve. It's this strong pull that's been built into us. And so this is a very powerful comparison. It's saying, husbands, with the same vigorous zeal, you protect your own self-interests. Even in things like, mm, I don't know, breathing air. Kind of important to you? Breathing air? How about feeding yourself? How about taking showers? How about manscaping? Is that important to you? Uh, How about stopping blood when you've been cut? If you've got spurting blood kind of important to get to it right away you have this desire to self-preserve and he's saying husbands it's that kind of intensive care you're supposed to be giving your spouses it's like it's your own body that's how intense and uh, pointed it is yes we're called to headship in the home but if we're called to resemble jesus christ our leadership is supposed to look like his leadership and so the question is what does it mean Uh, What is our leadership supposed to be? Uh, How is the depth of our love a measurement of our leadership? Well, I found a really good quote that um, I've read over and over again. It was really convicting to me. Um, It's from this commentator that I hardly ever read, but he is good. Peter O'Brien is his name, and he says, uh, None. And he's referring to Christian men who are receiving this letter. So the original recipients of this letter, those churches in the the province uh, up there, all the churches who receive this, and us today even, all right, all the guys who read this, um, uh, none is exempt from giving himself to his wife in loving service so that she might become what God intends for her. Can I read that again? I'm not, a, I'm not a quote re-reader, but let me reread that. None is exempt, Christian men, from giving himself to his wife in loving service so that she might become what God intends for her. You want to know what headship looks like? That's what headship looks like. Now, that doesn't diminish headship in the home. It doesn't diminish uh, God's appointed authority, not at all. Uh, but what I'm saying to you is, uh, and what people, people long to do is uh, kind of dismiss that and, and, and water it down and all that, but biblical headship comes with authority and ability, and it comes with responsibility and service. If you want to know what leading looks like, leading looks like dying. Leading looks like giving yourself up so that she can be brought into greater and deeper fellowship with God and likeness of Jesus Christ. Men, um, as we said last time, you're in charge of the home whether you want to be or not. You're in charge of the home even if you moved here from Massachusetts and you're a liberal Democrat. You are. You're in charge of the home whether you're good at it or not. And I know there are ladies sitting here going, ugh, if I could just get him to call a plumber, like my wife, probably right this minute. (laughs) Uh, There are ladies sitting in this room going, ugh, if this guy could just pay the bills on time. Men, you're called to lead the home whether you're good at it or not. It's God's appointment to you, and you're gonna be held accountable for it. You're in charge of the home whether your wife wants you to be or not. You're head of the home because God, in his divine wisdom, charged you with it. He's designed you to be the head. And so when, when somebody charges you, that means that they've given you authority. When they've given you authority, that means they've given you responsibility, and uh, you've got to carry out the wishes of the ones who send the the one who sends. And what he desires is for her to be brought in tender care to the throne of God. So headship in the home is not akin to some uh, all-inclusive resort, you know, where you're getting uh, drinks at the tiki bar and stuff. Headship. It looks like Jesus. And uh, Jesus might just say something like, um, give yourself to your wife in loving service so that she might become what God intends for her. That means putting your interests aside, time-consuming interests, uh, things that get in the way. Um, You have to die to self. Hey, I've got one last illustration on this, which is not in my notes, but let me just tell it to you. I told it to you years ago, I think, but back in the day... uh, When I was in this band, I was in this band called the Deltones, and it was back in when, you know, people went and heard bands of Captain Bilbo's and stuff. Anybody remember Captain Bilbo's and all that? Wow, look at that. Um, (laughs) Look at all you. Uh, But you know we played out and i played in this band and it was fun i mean it was just booming and it was it was like the blues brothers uh only i was white or no the other guy was black that's what it was uh we it was two, the two of us richard my buddy richard and me we were the two lead singers and we jumped around and had all these moves and stuff it was fun 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 and played all these gigs and all that stuff and uh man it it, it was really cool when we were dating and uh Oh, he's in a band, and, but he's a Christian, and it's kind of cool. And uh, anyway, I was playing out, and we get married, and then I got a job, you know, and uh, I'm coming home from my job, and I got I to gotta take a nap before I go to my gig at 10 o'clock when we get done at 2 o'clock, 2 a.m., and, of course, you're jacked up. And, and you know, when, when you're dating, it's kind of like, ooh, he's like Ricky Ricardo, you know, <laughs> coming home from the Copacabana. When in reality, you're coming home from Beale Street, and it was back in the day when it was smoking inside. You just stank. You were just so stinky and gross, and it was awful. I come home, I was jacked up, adrenalized, wide awake till four in the morning. Uh, there were times when I'd get the newspaper on the way in, and uh, guess what? That gets real old. Uh, that's, that, that becomes taxing on a, uh, on a relationship, and my wife voiced it, and I resisted it. And in fact, the more she voiced it, the more I tended to to want to resist it. And uh, finally, the Lord just convicted me, and I had to quit the band. And that was a hard thing to do. But looking back on it, gosh, I'm happy I did that. I mean, it was a sacrifice worth it because she's worth it. And um, dying the self is worth it. It's just worth it. Uh, I would, I would never make that decision. A different. I'll tell you what. I would. I would have quit sooner. I would have. All right. Um, our last point. Let me look over here. Uh, <laughs> respectful submission is essential to unity. Respectful submission is essential to unity. Let's look at the other half of. Uh, uh, verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I refer you back to Genesis, if you would. Genesis 3.16, not hard to remember, 3.16. Genesis 3.16, and uh, this is the, uh, this is part of the curse. And um, after the fall, and God says in Genesis 3.16 to the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth Children, and I know you're thinking, oh, yeah, but we have an epidural now. Yeah. Uh, They'll cause you pain when you're 59. Um, And it continues, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And you've probably heard preachers say this before uh, because it's true, but there's been a great confusion over that line, your desire shall be for your husband, because people look at it and they go, oh, isn't that sweet? I desire him. That's so sweet. Probably means love making or something, you know, something sweet. That's not what it means. Look at the, look at the, look at the idea as it's, as it's written. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That means you're going to be frustrated. Yeah, look at it in uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. This is right before Cain kills his brother. Um, And he brings an offering to God that God doesn't like. And God says in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's the same idea. It's the same word. You see that a desire for someone's husband is not the lyric to a love song. It's the desire to dominate. And God says, you know, to Cain, hey, resist sin. He's saying to husbands, resist being dominated. That's not how you were made. The desire is for her to dominate. The wife must resist the temptation. Another way to put it would be this, and this is going to direct us back to Ephesians. Another way to put it would be to say the wife must resist the desire to disrespect her husband. That's a perfectly synonymous way to to put it, and it's just what Paul is saying here in in verse 33 of our text. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The temptation is to disrespect the husband. The question is, what does it mean for a woman to respect her husband? What does it mean in real life? Honestly, I've never heard this preached in my entire life. I've never heard anybody else ever preach it before, and I'm just going to tell you some stuff, ladies, that you need to know. Um, I've had multiple men. When I say multiple men, I mean five or six in in my ministry lifetime. Five or six different men over a period of years tell me in different places at different times, different circumstances, the same exact line, five or six times, maybe six, but at least five. And the line is this. My wife treats me worse than a dog. Same line, different people, different times. My wife treats me worse than a dog. And, of course, sometimes it's worse than a dog, and sometimes it's worse than the dog. But I think the idea is the dog, the animal I let live in my house, gets better treatment, more respect, more attention than I do. Everybody is happier to see that frickin' dog than when Dad comes home. That's probably not hard to imagine. Well, um, anybody watch Downton Abbey? Well, Who who will admit to that? Good, okay. We watched them all. All right, I don't want to ruin it for you, but uh, it's like upstairs, downstairs today. You know, it's like this, uh, you got the uh, rich people who live in the castle up here, and then you got all the maids and butlers and stuff down here, and it's the, like parallel storylines and how they intersect and all that stuff. But you've got down here, down here in the servants' quarters and all that, you've got all these different things, footmen, and they have to wear gloves, and, you know, butlers are better than footmen, and they've got all these positions and everything. But the guy at the head of it is Mr. Carson. And Mr. Carson, you know, he's kind of a big, robust character with his hair kind of glued down, and just he's kind of curmudgeonly and everything. And Mr. Mr. Carson, everything passes by Mr. Carson. Um, when Mr. Carson comes in the room, everybody stands up. When 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 they come to the dinner table, Mr. Carson walks in. He's just the head butler. Not like he's the king. He's not lord. He's not the, the rich guy. He's the butler guy. But when he walks in the room, everybody stands up. Mr. Carson, sit. You know, they just pay him this this respect. And, of course, Mrs., what's the, what's the lady's name who's, like, his counterpart? What? Mrs. Hughes. Mrs. Hughes? Don't you wish you had a Mrs. Hughes in your life? Just following you around all the time for emotional support? I mean, she's like this non-threatening, awesome lady person who's so stable, and she, she, she's, like, she's the one who can talk to Mr. Carson, you know? She's the one who, like... You know, brings the logic to this curmudgeon and, and she, she like smooths everything out. It's just this awesome relationship. And, you know, of course the course of Cliffhanger is they're holding hands. You're like, oh, yes, you dummies. You should get together. You're like the parents of this whole big house. Anyway, I'm straying. <laughs> My point is nobody's worshiping Mr. Carson, he's just a man. But when he walks in the house, there's a sense that, oh, it's Mr. Carson. And I, I I do think that our culture has lost that. Dad comes home, he schleps in, it's like Meh. Beep, 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 beep. you know. It's like, hey, dumb idiot kids. The guy who pays for your life just walked in, you know? How about it? just be polite? All right. I'm gonna wrap it up with these couple of things. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this online or not. This is kind of a long ending, all right? So stick with me. We have five minutes left. It's kind of a long flow. So stick with me. It's a double ending, all right? Have you noticed that uh, in banner ads or pop-up ads on, on the Internet lately that there's this trend, and it's driving me insane? And the trend is weird trick. Have you seen that? It's driving me nuts everywhere you look. Weird trick for wrinkles, Weird trick for, uh, you know, testosterone health. And weird trick. Everything's a weird trick. They're targeting the, uh, the senior market with that. They're targeting everybody. Weird trick. And, uh, you know, everybody wants a weird trick. I'd like a weird trick. Oh, yeah, forget doctors, science. Just give me a weird trick. Maybe I'll <laughs> click on that link, you know. All right, you guys want a weird trick? I'll give you a weird trick. Husbands, here's a weird trick for you. Watch your wife sleeping. You ever do that? I just did it last night. I'm just laying there. I watch her sleep, and I don't mean in a creepy way, like, you know, weeping, eating Cheetos, you know. Uh, Not in like a, (coughs) not in an insane way. But as I see Tammy laying there sleeping, I'm thinking, there's this tender thing. I mean, uh, She's laying there sleeping, vulnerable, trusts me. Here we are, naked, unashamed, one flesh union. Uh, Block that out of your mind. (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) All right, let's bring it out back. My point is... (laughs) My point is, gentlemen... God has entrusted you something with something very precious. She's precious. She's important to God. And as a redeemed person, she's important to the Savior. God never cuts his eye away from her. God never stops his concern for her benefit. Never. And he's entrusted her to you. So watch that tender little thing sleeping. And, uh, and forgive. And be gentle. And don't be harsh. Don't be gruff. Why be impatient? Why do that? Why cling to your own agenda? Why not kill that? Why not give up things? Why not serve the way Christ served, which is dying? Dying so that she might be given everything that she needs. How about lead that way? Hey, ladies, you want a weird trick? I'll give you a weird trick. I guarantee no preacher's ever said it to you in your lifetime. Here's a weird trick for you. I challenge you to sweetly, and articulately, clearly articulate um, your respect and appreciation for your husband. I challenge you to do that. You go, oh, well, he knows. uh, You know, I love him, and I just, I do this and that. No, I challenge you to clearly and respectfully and sweetly articulate it. I challenge you find something that you can say to him, and I'm not just talking about lipstick service, I'm talking about genuine admiration and appreciation of something he's deeply involved in, like this. Maybe you say something like, honey, I know it's so hard to juggle your work life and, you know, your stage of life and juggle all that with home life, and I I just, I know that that's difficult, but I appreciate what you do, and our family appreciates what you do. We appreciate the way you love and provide. Ladies, have you ever in your life said that to your husband? Oh, well, yeah, in many ways. No, no, no. I'm saying in that way. Have you ever done it that way? Let me give you another one. Um you know, honey, ah, uh, you're a good dad. You're a really good dad. You're great with the kids. And I just, I just love watching you with them. It just means so much to me. And I, 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 we, we just so appreciate that and admire, admire you, the way you deal with the children. You, you just give of yourself a lot. You ever say, have you ever said that ever in your lifetime? I challenge you to say it. Here's another one. How about this? You know, honey, uh, when you do such and such, it makes me feel blank. And don't, don't make it a bad one either, and don't add, any, don't add something to it. But if you would, clean up. If you would, stop doing it. Don't use it as a platform. Say, honey, you know, when you do deal with those kids like that, and when we put them down, and it's been a long, crazy night, and we're trying to wash them and brush their teeth, and we finally get them down. When you do all that stuff, I just want you to know I see it, and I appreciate it, and it makes me feel very loved. I challenge you, ladies, to say that. Because I bet you don't. I bet you don't articulate it. I bet you go, ah, well, they don't care. They're a bunch of gruff old curmudgeonly man. Uh, I challenge you to say it. And then, watch this. Watch him respond to it. Do it. Watch him respond to it. Oh, guess what? He didn't respond? All right. It's okay. Keep a cool head. Choose a time and do do another one. And watch him respond. Oh, he didn't do it again? Oh, it's okay. Do it one more time. If he doesn't respond, I'll buy you a steak. <laughs> and by that, I mean one, one shrink wrap raw steak from Kroger. <laughs> um, so to close, marriage is a picture of the church's relationship to Jesus Christ. This is a profound mystery. It sure is that two people could leave their respective homes and bastions and categories and start a whole new one. It's the idea of the deepest human intimate, intimacy po- possible. Uh, this mystery is profound, and Paul says, I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. You want to know how much Christ loves you? He loves you as much as a perfect groom can love his sanctified bride. That's how much he loves you. And at the same time, our dealings with, with each other in the text here are kind of like a hologram that come to life and uh, show us this unique and harmonious and strangely beautiful reflection of the unity of Christ uh, and his bride, which is the church. Let's pray. Our Father, um, our greatest battle is with our own selves, with our inclinations and our self-promotion, our self-preservation, and we just thank you, Lord, that you caused us to see your truth and to love your law and to desire to Put our own agendas aside and say, what do you want us to do? I mean, what is the, what's the best way for us to live um, in relationship to you, in relationship to each other? So help us, Lord. Guard us. Keep our marriages sound. And, and I, I just pray for each set of people in here, Lord. I, I pray that you would just give them an, a measure of grace and that, that even long-term married people, even, even people in troubled situations would find themselves... With a, with a renewed vigor for this thing called marriage. I, I pray that you'll oil the mechanism and uh, bring about happy um, uh, death to self. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.